This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Back again, the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you, talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications and never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show. I got a couple reviews here already. Tom G817 says, great listen all the time. Great content, great guests. Vivid Hater, he doesn't hate this show, but he says Mets fan for life. If you are a diehard Mets fan, then you need to listen to Subway to Shea, best podcast, hands down. Thank you to both Tom G817 and Vivid Hater for the reviews. I appreciate it. So please, if you're listening to the show, please take a few moments, rate the show on Apple Podcasts, leave me a review, let me know what you think, things you like, things you don't like. I'd love to know how to make this show better and better every day. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is now available every Thursday on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside new podcasts like The Bullpen with DA, Third Floor Lounge, which covers the NFL and NBA, and Sus Talk. So just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash High Spot Podcast and make sure to subscribe today. Joining me now on the Subway to Shape Podcast, Jeffrey Ballone. Jeffrey is the co-founder of Mets Fix, which provides Mets fans with in-depth analysis, reporting, unique graphics, and film breakdowns. It is a great resource that I love to use, and I also subscribe to their free newsletter, which you can too. Jeffrey, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you coming on. Tell us how Metsfix came about. Yeah, it's actually a funny story. So, so I had uh, for a long time been writing about the Knicks through Knicks Film School, it's called, and we had a, a Twitter account that was fairly popular where I do film breakdowns, and then we started a newsletter with Jonathan Macri and a few others. And then I said, you know, it'd kind of be cool if we could do this for you know another team like the Mets. So I started my own Mets newsletter, and then randomly one day, someone else reached out to me who ended up being my partner, Blake Zeff, and he said, hey, you know, I was thinking of doing the same thing. I searched Substack to see if anyone else is doing it. I found your newsletter, and I I figured I don't want to compete against this. What if we just <laughs> did it together? So um, so yeah, we kind of two, two strangers, but two Mets fans kind of met him together, and, and then now... Uh, now we're doing it together. Well, you guys put together some great content and I really love your stuff. So let's get into the Mets right now and let's talk about Carlos Carrasco and his injuries. So after throwing bullpen last week and conditioning, he suffered what 
was initially thought to be a right hamstring strain. And then Mike Puma came out on the New York Post and reported that the injury was a high-grade tear, which will probably keep him out six to eight weeks. Carlos has had elbow soreness and now this tear. So should we be worried about this tear affecting him when he returns? Is this going to be something that's going to linger throughout the season for him? Yeah, that's a good question because, you know, when he had his initial elbow soreness, we actually wrote about it in the newsletter. That's something that he's had happen quite often in the spring. And he's kind of had this weird thing where he's had a bunch of injuries to his right arm and elbow that have never turned into anything. I mean, only time he really missed any time, he had a line drive off his right arm. He missed a few starts from that. I think that was in 2018. And then he missed time, you know, with his cancer diagnosis, obviously. But otherwise, he's been pretty healthy. So this is a new type of injury with the hamstring. And I think we've experienced it as Mets fans, right? Um, You know, even back with Reyes and and whatnot, where you hear a, a hamstring injury and you just don't know. You know, pitchers obviously rely a lot on their legs. So it's something actually, funny enough, I want to research a little more to see how different pitchers have come back from this particular injury, but I haven't done that yet. But, you know, I I do worry a a little more than when we got that initial news because we had at least had a track record of him having inflammation and it not impacting him where this is, you know, something different. Now, usually when injuries like this happen, I become very worried about the rotation, but this year kind of feels a little different. We have better depth compared to, let's say, obviously last year in 2019. What do you make of the way the Mets constructed the rotation depth now than in previous years? Yeah, I mean, I think they did a good job making sure that when you get to the back of the rotation and you need a spot starter or you need a guy to fill in, you know, one or two turns, that instead of having some someone who really sucks, <laughs> for lack of a better word, <laughs> you you now have someone who you know belongs in the back of our major league rotation. You know, if Yamamoto or uh, Lucchese, and even a little further down. So I I think they've done a good job with that. But I do think that's different than having the type of depth that can replace a Carrasco, right? So like you look at the Dodgers. I mean, they're in a situation now where where they have David Price. You know, who could be coming out of the bullpen and, and, and on top of a guy like Dustin May, who would be probably the third starter on the or fourth starter on the Mets when they're healthy. So I think they have good depth in, in the sense of that fourth or fifth turn into rotation should be better. But when you lose a Carrasco, that top end depth now and, you know, remember. Stroman has looked good in the spring and and I like his, you know, he he seems like someone who's always working to improve his game. So I have confidence he's going to be good, but he, you know, he didn't pitch for a whole year. So you, you are a little bit going into the season now where you're wondering about that top end depth behind DeGrom. Do you, does that quickly turn into, you know, where you no longer have that advantage you you maybe thought you did? Like you mentioned with Stroman, him having taken the year off, is it more, worried that he might struggle or is it more that he you know he got the year off so he's now very rested and ready to go is the two combined or you feel like they're different I, I think it's just probably more like you, you just don't have a track record of what it will mean, good or bad, right? I mean, it's just not obviously common that a, a healthy pitcher it doesn't pitch, you know, in, in, in major league games for that long. So we just don't know in general how, you know, for any pitcher, even the ones who pitched last year, you know, I think the, the leader had something like 88 innings, um, where it, usually you're getting over 200 innings, right? So how 
how the bodies respond differently doesn't mean guys are going to be more prone to injury as they ramp up. You know, maybe April, May, they're okay because that's sort of, the, you know, early enough in the year. But as you start tacking on innings when they didn't have the normal schedule from last year, you wonder how that impacts them. So I guess it's more that worry. It's just it's different than what they normally have done, in particular to Stroman. By him not pitching a whole season, he's got, I think, even more of a, a difference. And like I said, it could it could turn out that that's a good thing, that you know he, he kind of has more, more energy saved. We just don't know, and I guess that's why I put somewhat of a question mark on it. Now, on the other hand, David Peterson jumped in last year, and he was pretty solid. He comes up from double-A, and he pitched pretty well. And manager Luis Rojas now saying he's most likely going to slot into that number four spot in the rotation. Who do you feel has the leg up for the fifth slot? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I know they've, you know, are flirting uh, with the idea of using an opener. You know, Lucchese, I think, to me personally, I like Yamamoto a little bit better just because I think he has a, a deeper repertoire of pitches, which is, you know, more conducive when you're just a traditional starter. I think Lucchese has two. I mean, he's got that weird, the, the churve, the change-up curveball, and he's got a sinker but he doesn't really have a good third pitch. Um, and, and if you look at the, the numbers, you know, he's really been impacted when he gets that third time through the order, which, you know, all pitchers now, they obviously pay close attention to, but particularly for him, it, it's been a problem. So I personally like Yamamoto a little better at this point in time, but could they do, like, like I said, some sort of opener tandem where, where they can fit an extra guy in that way? Um, you know, I could see that, but they've both pitched well, you know, but I think it's between those two in my eyes of who would get the fifth, the fifth spot. So is it better to have two lefties in the rotation? I know you rather go with Yamamoto, which means the only lefty would be David Peterson, but is it good to maybe decide go Lucchese in the, with the uh, two lefties going in the rotation? I personally don't think that that's, you know, something that I would put over who I just think is, is better. You know, for that role. I mean, what what you like about Lucchese is he has a different delivery too. So you're bring, you know, if you're saying, okay, we're facing a team, a three game series with our three, four, five starters, that gives a different, like a completely different look, right? So you like that. But again, you could capitalize on that bringing him out of the bullpen, which is what I like him better in that role. So I personally wouldn't be as worried about the lefty when you're, you know, lefty righty when you're getting to that spot. I think you're just going with the guy who you think is going to give you the most innings. And in your newsletter, you mentioned Mike Montgomery being stretched out. And, you know, that kind of brings to line the opener. What is the possibility of making him a part of this pitching staff as either a bullpen piece or putting him as the opener. How well do you think he's done this spring? Yeah, no, I, I mean, the thing that's been interesting this spring is the Mets have actually had a lot of guys who have pitched, you know, pretty well, where it's made the decision, um, you know, I think a little less obvious, even with, so I guess what I was going to say is even with Lucchese, it's like his line yesterday, when you look at the line, it wasn't great, but I know Rojas talked afterwards, just looking at his pitches, you know, he, he thought he was good enough. So someone like Montgomery, some of these other non-roster invites, I could totally see them fitting because I think, again, this year, it's not like who comes out of spring is going to be the five that you're running with all year. We know Carrasco and Syndergaard are eventually going to come back. We know other guys could get injured and we know they have a lot of depth. And the reason you have that depth is because 
you can decide, okay, yeah, if you like how Montgomery is thrown right now, maybe you use him, um, you know, for a couple starts and, and then you, you know, you're cycling in someone else. I mean, obviously you have to pay attention to the, you know, he's, he's a non-roster invite fight So you have to pay attention to who you'd option. It, it costs a little more to have someone like that make the active roster. So you have to consider that, but um, I don't think it's impossible. Yeah. That's what I was wondering also with uh, Rojas is going to have to be strategic on who he puts in this bullpen. Cause like you said, a lot of these pitchers have pitched really well. Some have options, some don't have options. So I, I'm assuming that that's going to be very important in how he puts this bullpen together. Yeah, no, that, that's it. And I mean, that was something else that they prioritized over the season. I mean, be, over the off season beyond just getting guys to kind of fill obvious holes. I think they did a good job trying to find guys who had options remaining because that gives them a lot more flexibility to, like I said, cycle guys in where maybe they're only up for a, a portion of the season, but they're filling a gap, you know, that exists. And, and before, you know, the, the off season, they, they really had very, very little flexibility in the guys that they could bring, you know, up and down without risk losing. And there still are a couple of guys that fall in that, you know, Jacob Barnes is one of them. I know he's, he's pitched better of late, but he's out of options and, and they'd have to decide what to do with him. And I think he's someone that's kind of on that fringe of, of making an active roster. Once again, I'm here with Jeffrey Ballone, co-founder of Mets Fix, which provides Mets fans with in-depth analysis, reporting, unique graphics, and film breakdowns. Speaking of film breakdowns, I really enjoyed your series on Brandon Nimmo's defensive struggles in center field. I'm a huge fan of Nimmo. I think he is a solid offensive player, but how can he improve his defense this year? Yeah, so I looked at um, a lot of the video, and it's funny because now everyone references the StatCast data. They have this outs above average metric for people who aren't familiar with it, but they essentially look at different plays, balls in play, and they say, okay, how, you know, how likely is it that this player would would be able to field that ball based on where he started based on his speed and the trajectory of the ball so you know it's it's a more precise way of just like looking at a fielder's number of errors or something like that it's actually calculating how much ground they cover etc um but for nimmo when i looked at it I, i wanted to actually see the plays that he was missing and he was missing a lot of plays that went over his head because he just wouldn't get a good feel for the ball off the bat he would turn you know the the opposite direction and then that would slow his path to get to the ball so i know he's been playing deeper to account for that and we've seen it in spring a couple times where when when he's running in i mean all of us who've played baseball we know this it's always easier to see a ball in front of you when he's running in he he does a lot better so i do think that will help is he going to be you know jackie bradley jr out there no but i i also think people don't realize like it, it's not as many plays as you would think, particularly in the outfield that separate, you know, a real, uh, let's just say an above average center fielder from an average one. You know, if you took the best center fielder in the game and compare them to the worst, you know, there's, there's a good amount of plays that make a difference, but it, it's not as much as you think just because you don't get, you know, as many opportunities. So I think he can be serviceable out there. There's going to be the play that sticks out in a highlight and everyone will remember that in their mind and they'll think, oh God, this is terrible. But, you know, I think overall over a full season, if he continues to build on what he's doing, you know, he can hold his own out there. What about Dominic Smith in left field? Yeah, I mean, he's, <laughs> I think that one's a, a little bit tougher. I mean, to me, I think with Nimmo, it's like he can work in the outfield. He just ideally wouldn't be in center field. 
right? Mm-hmm. Where with Smith, I think ideally he just wouldn't be in the outfield. <laughs> um, he would be at first base and maybe Alonso's uh, DHing when, when the DH comes back next year. So that one, you know, I, I, again, I worry about just because it's not ideal, but I'm still hopeful that there's not as many plays that, you know, that it's going to make such a difference that what he provides with his bat, he can't, you know, offset some of that. And then if the Mets, you know, utilize their depth with, you know, defensive replacements in the right spot, I think they can be okay. But again, not, not an ideal situation, that's for sure. And both Pilar and Almora Jr. have been playing so well. Is there a chance that both of these guys make this uh, bench? Yeah, no, I, I think there is. Basically for the reasons we're just saying, right, where there, there's situations that you could see why the Mets would want to, you know, have defensive replacements. So therefore you're going to use them. You're not going to, you know, normally you might not want that extra outfielder because you're playing, you know, your basic three mostly every day, every inning. So there's not as as many opportunities, but yeah, I I could see them both making the bench and I'm not really sure like who else I would even, you know, put in there, you know, where, where I'd be worried about, you know, okay, well I'm losing this. I mean, you know, Jose Martinez got injured. He, he was a guy that, you know, I think is more first base D H at this point, but you know, a bat that they could have considered, but obviously he, hurt now so I think they both have a good shot of making the team yeah right now I see the bench as uh, Tomas Nito because you're gonna need the backup catcher you got Guillaume uh, VR Pilar and Almora Jr. I think if they're allowed to carry the five because usually they don't really carry that many on the bench and not in the past, but I would assume this year those five would be set. Yeah, no, I, I think you have it exactly, exactly right. And because this year they, they do have the relaxation on the number of pitchers you could carry. So normally it would be 13. You could carry an extra pitcher if, if they wanted to. So I guess that's an area where maybe you could have a shorter bench. But I, I think the five you mentioned are the most likely. All right, let's head up to Francisco Lindor. Big big spring he's been having so far he's really heated up offensively which means contract talks continue to grow and especially during the spring we've been hearing a lot about it numbers and counter offers have been made or so have been said do you think a deal will get done by opening day i've been thinking in my head yes it will i guess there's a you know it's funny with sandy alderson it's you know he does have a track record where you know i think with the Wilpons, we you know as mets fans everyone was like well you know, even if Alderson wanted to spend money, you know, what, what can he do with the Wilpons? But I think people are seeing a little bit now that even under Cohen, I know it's a very early in this regime. You know, Alderson is not going to just break the bank for the sake of breaking the bank. I guess apparently unless it's Trevor Bauer. But that makes me worry a little bit that they, you know, there, there's a part of me, I guess, in offseason where I'm like, you know what? Like, it's Cohen. He wants to stamp his name here. They just traded for Lindor. He's just going to, you know, I'm not saying he's going to, you know, make a terrible deal but he's gonna he's gonna pay him what he needs to be paid to get it done they're not going to be sitting here arguing over oh is it 310 million or 320 but um i don't know maybe now i mean if they're saying the mets are around 300 and lindor is far above that you know that they got a lot of ground to make up you know before opening day but to answer your question i'm gonna say it's gonna be like the night before they will announce that you know a deal is done and and there'll be one less thing to have to worry about kind of like with Degrom, he got his contract although it wasn't alderson he got his contract what two days before opening day began yeah exactly and and it's kind of this is you know it's negotiations right it's always about these artificial deadlines which is why 
Lindor's camp is going to say, you know, they, they're going to claim it's because he wants to focus on playing baseball. But, you know, it's really they're setting opening day as a deadline because that's how deals get done last year. You know, the same situation, right? The Dodgers traded for Mookie Betts and it was literally the day before, you know, and that was in July with with COVID, but it was literally the day before and they got that huge deal done. So that's if it's going to happen, that's how it's going to happen. So anything before then at this point, I think is just kind of jockeying in the press and just, you know, you just kind of ignore till you get to the to the day before. Yeah, I'm trying to be as patient as possible. He said that the deadline was opening day and it's not opening day yet. So I'm being as patient as possible. But I will say this about Sandy. If he goes into this with all the contracts, I mean, the Mets are not going to get anyone because these contracts just keep skyrocketing and they're getting very expensive. And if he's not going to pay these players, then who's going to come here? No, Yeah, no, right. Because I think the other way to look at it if you, as a Mets fan is, well, if they don't sign Lindor, I would not call it necessarily doom and gloom unless you know he's your particular favorite player i mean there there are other shortstop that are going to be available next winter i mean Corey seager i think has six home runs this spring he was uh you know an mvp during the playoffs last year i mean he's a pretty good player i mean you can make an argument who who's better between those two meaning um if it doesn't work, you know, these negotiations, I know Lindor, I, I think it was it was either reported or he, he had even talked about himself in terms of where he rates among shortstops, you know, and thinking he is the best shortstop. That's all about the type of contract he gets, right, to set that market. But there's other guys that are hitting free agency at that same moment who can make a similar argument. And I think that gives a little more leverage to the Mets because they can say, well, hey, if we're, we're willing to spend over $300 million here, there's only so many teams that are willing to do that and there's a lot of players moving around you know Trevor's story another one so you know we're going to get one of them and I, I feel like that's a position they could take but to your point if Sandy's going to be frugal then then yeah maybe they do get left empty-handed and I've been talking about this all spring I thought that the priority should have been Michael Conforto. I don't know what contract negotiations are going with him. He seems to not even want to talk about it anymore, but I thought he should have been the priority because next offseason, the outfield crop of players is not great, which means Conforto might be the number one outfielder and he's going to get a whole lot of money, especially under Scott Boris. So I thought that he should have been the priority, whereas in Lindor, like you said, there's going to be a sleuth of really good shortstops. This may be one of the best shortstop free agent class in probably history. Yeah, no, right. It, it, yeah, Baez and Correa and Seager. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's quite, I mean, when you think about it, if you grew up like I did in the 90s of the, the, kind of that class that was um funny enough i was i was the kid who was rooting for ray ordonez who obviously fell behind uh the rest of his class <laughs> oh but, he was one of my favorite players too growing up yeah yeah because I, I remember like in cheater's rookie year i was trying to pretend um you know, that Ordonez would be on that class. But but anyways, you know, since that class of, you know, the A-Rod Jeter, et cetera, you know, Nomar at the time, um, this, you know, this, yeah, I, I think this is really that a real special group, just independent of whether they're free agents. You just, if you just listed top, you know, shortstops, and now the fact that they all happen to be coming at the same time, I think that with Conforto, like you said with Boris, like in his age, I mean, he just, I, I just think it's a situation where they probably realize he's not going to, he's going to go to free agency he's just is i mean we just saw springer get 6 150 i think it was he's three years older 
I guess he'd be two years older when, when by the time Conforto gets to a free agency next year. So I think that's part of it too, though, is the feeling of do they have more more of an avenue with Lindor than they do a Conforto rather than it being do they prioritize one or the other? Now, since they're both seeking these huge contracts, what do you feel is a fair deal for both of them, both Lindor and Conforto? What is a fair deal that the Mets could give to these guys? This is where it's like you're negotiating with player, but also with the market, right? And especially next year at the CBA set to expire and there, there's the whole uncertainty that surrounds that in terms of how luxury tax is impacted and how these contracts then get valued. But, you know, I think Lindor is going to look, um, you know, he, he's going to want to make a number that puts him you know, not the highest paid player in baseball, but I think at, at a high level. So if you said 10 years, 320 million, I think that puts them in that range, you know, the Bryce Harper type range for annual value. Conforto is a tricky one because like I said, I you know, six years, 150 is Springer. Springer's a center fielder, at least for another year or two. I know some people say that he he's really should be just a corner outfield outfielder now. How much added value do you give Springer because he's, you know, a quote center fielder or do you not consider that as much? Do you just say, like you were saying, you know, Conforto is going to clearly be the best outfield reagent. So, you know, he's two years younger than Springer will uh, next offseason. So in terms of when he's hitting free agency, I'm saying. So if you told me seven years, 175, I think that's the number I used in the newsletter this morning. That to me would be, you know, about a reasonable one for Conforto. That's 25 million per year. So you're looking at 25 million per year Conforto, maybe 30 to 32, 33 for Lindor. I mean, that's that's nearly 60 million on two guys. I mean, that's 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 a lot of money. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if if they could get both deals done, just the one deal done. They also have Syndergaard going to be a free agent next year, Stroman. So they ha- they have a lot to think about for sure. No, absolutely. And that, that was actually what I wrote in the newsletter this morning is, um, and I'll, I'll do the shameless plug. People can go to metsfix.com to sign up for free for it. That was Blake, by the way. He, he's always good at reminding me to, uh, <laughs> to, to plug. So I know if you listen to this and he actually listens this far, he'll he'll give me a text tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I wrote about that this morning. I mean, so the Mets have six free agents that are not named Lindor Conforto. And that is, like you said, Syndergaard, Stroman, and then, you know, and then it's guys that, you know, I think people would care less about, um, you know, leaving. But the point is, even if they let everyone walk other than Lindor and Conforto, um, they're going to have a lot of payroll tied up already just with this current roster around $180 million, maybe and probably a little more than that when you have the arbitration players getting raises. So we don't know where the tax will be. It's $210 million this year. Due in the new CBA, is it around the same? Is it totally different? We don't know. But the point is, there's not a lot of wiggle room if they sign both those guys. So, you know, Stroman, Syndergaard, Lindor, Conforto. Uh, it's hard to believe all four of those guys would be back next year. Now, Jeffrey, before I let you go, let everyone know where they can reach you and MetFix on social media. Sure, yeah. So the Twitter handle is easy. It's at MetsFix. And if you just go there, you got links to everything you need to sign up for the newsletter. You know, again, it's free. It comes every weekday morning at 8 a.m. We do a rundown of the latest news and then one like analysis piece. So like I said, this morning we looked at the 2022 payroll. Another day it might be a film breakdown on uh, Nimmo's defense. Um, But yeah, so just check us out there and at Jeffrey Ballone if you just want to 
follow me for some odd reason. Um, but but uh, at Mets Fix is where you could get the newsletter stuff. All right, Jeffrey, I can't thank you enough for joining the show. Let's do this again soon, man. All right, yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot. That was Jeffrey Ballone, co-founder of Mets Fix, which provides Mets fans with in-depth analysis, reporting, unique graphics, and film breakdowns. It's a great resource that I love to use because I need to get my Mets Fix. There, That's the shameless plug right there. So make sure to subscribe to Mets Fix free newsletter. Free is always good. So you'll get it, like he said, you'll get this newsletter every morning around 8 a.m., and you can read all the great pieces from Jeffrey and his partner at MetFix. Final thoughts before we wrap up this show. Fans in the stands for opening day. Yes, it is. Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that the Mets and the Yankees can host up to 20% capacity. And for the Mets, I think that's a little over 8,000 people in the stands. So there will be fans at City Field for opening day. You got to be excited for that. We're trying our best to get back to their normal life and getting to be a part of these baseball games, not just watching them, you know, on TV. I know a lot of it will probably be mostly to start. It will be a lot of the season ticket holders. But just having fans in the stands is such a rush and such a fun time when you're at City Field and at these Mets games. So I'm very excited for that. And I hope to go to a Mets game or two this year. You know, I really want to get out there to City Field. I don't think I've been there since maybe August of 2019 was the last time I got to see a game at City Field. Mike Piazza is in camp this week. He will be in hand at City Field for the 20th anniversary of 9-11. They're going to have a ceremony which takes place on 9-11 when the Mets play the New York Yankees. So that is going to be an emotional night. We all know Mike Piazza hit that emotional home run. Probably, I'm going to say that is the biggest home run of his career as a Met. I think that was by far the most emotional and the biggest home run that he had here as a New York Mets. He also chatted it up with players including Jacob deGrom, catcher James McCann, and Francisco Lindor, who's kind of in the same situation as Piazza was in 98. You know, Piazza came here via the trade, although during midseason, but they're both going through the same thing. They were traded here. They're going to be free agents at the end of the year. And, you know, Piazza ended up signing that huge contract. I think it was $91 million at the time. And he stayed with the Mets. And hopefully the same thing happens to Lindor. So that pretty much wraps it up here for the Subway to Shea podcast. Once again, a huge thank you to Jeffrey Ballone from Mets Fix. And we'll talk next week. Please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better for you Met fans out there. Now, I read you a couple of reviews at the beginning of the show. I appreciate everyone who writes a review, everyone who leaves me a five-star review, because that brings my ranking in podcasts, Mets, baseball, you name it. I want to keep climbing the rankings up there, and I want to keep creating good Mets content for you guys. Do me a favor. Please take those few minutes. Write me a review. Rate the show. Let me know what you think, okay? Follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, 
Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is now available every Thursday on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside other podcasts like The Bullpen with DA, Third Floor Lounge, which covers the NFL and the NBA, and Sus Talk. So just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash High Spot Podcast and make sure to subscribe today. Listen, subscribe, share, and review Subway to Shea. For Anthony Rivera, let's go Mets. <laughs>